0: viewers welcome to jaipur dialogues jd usa starting after two week of break and that break was because we had a timing schedule change and uh, starting today we will have the new time of saturday 10:30 a.m eastern so welcome back and i'm very glad to restart the show as the saying goes today we are going to talk about how Mr. Modi has impacted the global scenario with reference to Hindus and India. And living abroad, most of us Indians have been mostly very energized and inspired and have kind of retained, regained our lost roots. The dhimmi in, in us is dying. To talk about this matter, I have a wonderful privilege of having Mr. Saurav Dutt, a remarkable young man who lives in London. And Sorov has written a book, Modi and Me. Let's talk about it, Sarov, and tell us about this entire thing and the background of a very significant advertisement put in Wall Street Journal, where the journal advertisement, which is a conservative newspaper, mostly sides with Republican on business issues, has chosen to put an ad which is false, which is bigoted and directly attacks the entire infrastructure of Prime Minister Modi's government and the administration. Looks like Wall Street Journal wanted to make its money from the advertising, and I'm sure they made good money. But that's truly a sad reflection on ignoring the vast majority of what i prefer to call the largest minority in the world the hindus in the in the analogy of uh, minority and majority you have christian world and you have muslim world and then you have the hindu world and we are the minority in the world in the world world affairs so share your thoughts going forward what inspired you to do the book on mr modi you have referred in your book 2014 as a turning point. Tell us what happened before and how did the inspiration come from? Because the world needs to know and particularly the young Indians need to know.
1: Your time. Namaskar to the Jaipur Dialogues audience. So yes, um, I think like many individuals, young Indians around the world, young Hindus around the world, since prior to 2014, perhaps they were quite agnostic about Hinduism, sanata dharma, about the history of India, its civilization, its culture, its importance. They knew enough that perhaps they weren't so proud to profess their culture and their faith and their love and worship of history and Indian culture in so loud a manner. And what we found since 2014 is we had with Maudiji, an individual, who was proud to be a Hindu, was proud to wear his religion on his sleeve to extol the virtues and wonder of india of parat its civilization its history its freedom fighters and to position the country as a growing power within the world a growing influence within the world that deserved respect demanded respect that did not need to take orders from former colonial powers or anyone else so slowly and surely we we saw a side of India and pilot that wasn't prevalent up to that point. From 2014 until now, we have seen, not just through G, but through the BJP as well as th- through many elements of the government and NGOs and spokespersons, that they aren't afraid to talk about India as it should be, which is a growing power that is unashamed of who it is and its past and its culture, and is willing to embrace all of that. But what we saw at the same time was the enemies of Hala, of Hinduism, of left-wing echo chambers and urban naxals, really, who had started to coalesce and started to arm themselves with knowledge, arm themselves with narratives and media houses and soft power and thought, thought leadership papers and think tanks. And slowly and surely, what they started to do was to build this erroneous, false narrative around India, around the Modi. So they started bringing up all of the canards and falsehoods around 2002. They wanted to paint Modiji as being a leader of a fascist country, of a fascist organisation, all of these falsehoods. And slowly and surely, with every growing year, this movement has gained power. And more to the point, it hasn't gained power just within India, it spread its tentacles all over the globe. And as you alluded to with the Wall Street Journal, it has become a very nascent, powerful force within the United States, especially within the United Kingdom where I'm sitting now as well. And with every growing month, it seems, their anger, their resolve against Modi, against the BJP, against the RSS, against any element, individual or organisation that wants to talk about India and Bharat in a positive way, What's happened is that this movement has become even angrier, become even more powerful and is 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 not hesitating to use all of its powers at its disposal, whether they are writers from an Indian background, whether they are foreign writers, whether they are reports, whether they are spurious research organisations or think, think tanks of this nature, they are growing in stature, growing in self-belief, and they are propagating all of this false knowledge around the world. And what's happening at the same time is that while G and his supporters around the world are doubling down and are embracing their faith, and we're seeing a new generation of younger Indians who are proud of who they are and proud of the country from where they've come from, you're finding that the two sides are now pitted against each other. So what was happening in my own journey, which is perhaps one that is mirrored by those of many of your younger listeners, is that I eventually just became fed up of the falsehoods and the narratives and the propaganda I was being fed from the United Kingdom, whether it's The Guardian, whether it's Time, um, Time Magazine, whether it's the New Yorks, New York Post or the New York Times or any of these powerful media houses. I began to read and became extremely anger, angry within myself And I could see what were clearly falsehoods. I mean, I go to India every year. I can see how it's developing, how powerful it's becoming. I can see that the fact that we want to celebrate our civilization and our heroes like Shivaji, Nitaji Shubhas Chandra Bose, for example, that that this is not a negative thing. And I could see that the culture and the country I was born in and embraced and loved so much was being denigrated and constantly being misaligned by all of these lies and these half truths and these twisted narratives i thought that from myself what can i do i can at least put myself out there my platform my voice to combat against a lot of these a lot of these propagandists and whether it's on social media whether it's through blogs and work such as this eventually i got to the point where i said look i am an author let me put my strengths to paper and put together a book that really talks about this journey, this issue, the growth of Hindu phobia since 2014 particularly. It's always been there but it's really grown since 2014 and that's why I released Modi and Me and the subtitle is Modi and Me, A Political Reawakening because I think many young Hindus around the world and Hindus of every walk of life and background have reawakened since 2014 because Murtiji has permitted them to be proud about their culture and to talk about it in a way that they should be unafraid and what's happened is that the more Hindus have shown that they're willing to talk about their culture and their history and their religion in a loud fashion the more the voices against them have coalesced and grown and that's very telling because that tells us that the enemies of Hindu, Hinduism and Hindutva and our entire culture and civilization have always been there and what they resent is that if we dare to talk about ourselves in a pr- in a proud manner this is what they des- detest the most because they want sanatana dharma and Hindus and Hindus around the world to be quiet to be pliant to not um, shake to not ruffle feathers to not shake the boat to essentially be quiet to be submissive and deferential but that time has passed so I'm hoping that this book will allow many individuals around the world to understand that they too should be proud of who they are and the message that they can perceive and that they can uplift all of those Hindus around the world who have been hitherto reticent a little bit shy and that they don't need to be shy about who they are and how proud they are about where they come from because that's what our enemies want. They want us to be quiet and to, f- and to slip away into the shadows. But hopefully that time has come. Because I see Hindutva and Hinduism resurgent now more than ever. And that's a wonderful thing.
0: I'm so glad with your opening statement. Because we, we seem to align on our, in our thinking. And you know, just as you, you decided on your own to put your entire thing uh, in your perspective that you wanted to use your talent of being an author in words and put it in paper. I chose the path to contest the election and Mm -hmm. I must tell you that it is a remarkable journey. I mean, you and I are on individual journey to make the minority voice be heard, seen, felt, and known. Uh, That's what is important for us to do that. Now, you you refer to the word, the the word coalesce, how the enemies of Hindus, and I, I put it in the enemies of all things Hindu, for those people who are, you know, afraid of, frightened of, or hate everything Hindu, they have definitely coalesced. And the one thing Mr. Modi has done, whether we like it or not, uh, is the fact that he has put the enemies out of their pigeonholes or out of their holes. Now, there is no, you know, the very nice Sanskrit word, mithya, the falsehood. Uh, living with us. We can't live with a falsehood that everybody loves us. Mm-hmm. The whole concept of Vasudev Kutumukam itself has been challenged. According to their words, we don't belong in that Vasudev we don't even They don't even want us there. So the question here is again very important. What is it that makes them nuts about us? <laughs> and I'm putting it in that fashion. Why, why, why do they hate us so much? Yeah. Particularly in the background of the fact that we are the most peaceful, law-abiding citizens anywhere, as an immigrant or in India, and the second part is also very important: is that we are not a law and order problem anywhere,
1: no, anywhere. No, yes.
0: But this is being made; we are made as a villains. Where do you think is the, where do you think it starts from? Where is the where is the game plan? Is to demolish the entire Hindu and Sanatan practices? It's not no. going to go
1: it's very complex but um, you know I think it ultimately stems from a, a distaste for the religion itself and that is breeded from the times of empire, from the times when missionaries from the British Raj went in, tried to proselytize and tried to really dispel any notion that sanata dharma and Hinduism was a, was a religion worthy of respect So they went in with a mission statement all those years ago talking about the virtues of an Abrahamic faith and a monotheistic religion and their idea was that Hindus were pagans, that they were unclean, that they were uncivilised, that they needed to be bettered, that these native people needed to learn the wonders of Christianity and that they needed to be taught. Um, And it started with that original mission statement. But of course... That was only after um, the rule of Is Islamist uh, Mughal invasions in that region. And in that case, it was about the kafir and the infidel. And in that case, it wasn't just about conversion, it was about eradication. So you have these two extremely powerful forces that started way back when, during the time of conquest, and they managed to inculcate sense within the populace even within india that they too should feel inferior and that is why there were so many converts and that is why so many tribals um, were targeted and sought to be converted to hate their own kind to hate their own religion and that was one of the reasons as well excuse me and what's happened since then is it has grown and become <coughs> it has become through thought leadership and through left-wing nexuses in the West. And they have competed together and come together to portray this mission statement that Hinduism is a pagan religion and inferior. And it has grown since then, since those times, and now they work hand in glove.
0: You okay. You're drinking. You are drinking a lot of water. Your throat is dry, or you are nervous.
1: No, it's. I'm um, getting over a <clears throat> getting over a cold. That's all okay. it is, and it gave me a sore throat. Okay, take it easy.
0: All right. The other part which I wanted to share with the viewers, and with you as well, that despite my election time, I was able to read large segments of your book. And you have broken it up in a remarkably simple way. You know, it almost reads as a conversation. And that's, you know, and you have not tried to intellectualize the problems as much as you have to try to say it in a layman's language. So that's very powerful. Share with me about, you know, I I noticed that entire thing has been done extremely well. By the way, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a book promotion. Conversation. It's about the issue, the issue that bedevils us, because we are under attack from everywhere, and that we need to arise and protect and defend ourselves. So there is one element that people talk about very often, you know, that uh, rise of Hindu phobia and all has happened. But there is a role of people like us, people uh, Indian diaspora worldwide. Where exactly? Where exactly? are we missing out in our role and responsibilities? Because, you know, back home in India, people still look upon us as those who left the country and went out for greener pastures. They do not pay enough respect. I would put the word as respect that we are doing a lot for our motherland, our country that we left behind. We still go there. We do investments. We do varieties of things. And even today here, we fight for our rights. But somewhere along the line, majority of the Indians in UK and US particularly are Democrats. It beats the hell out of me that we are essentially conservative people. Yet we are sucking up to the Democrats who are most of the time and and the Labour Party in your country who eventually exploit us, take us for granted. So tell us your thoughts on this matter, particularly when you say in your book. uh, what is that called? You have you, a true Hindu will not be manipulated. You have spent a whole chapter saying a true Hindu will not be manipulated. Yet we Hindus are manipulated here. Are we mm. not true Hindus talking about the British and the American aspect? And if you are manipulated, then that means we are not true Hindus. It's a
1: very controversial statement. Mm. Tell us more about it. Well what's happened with both, both our countries is you've got Hindus who have considered themselves to be the good immigrants and they've come into these countries and they perceived that there was a great deal of racism initially so they gravitated towards the allegedly left-wing party which was the Democrats or the Labour Party and what happened at that time is that they initially knew that they could obtain votes from the Hindu diaspora initially. But what what happened <coughs> what happened was that <clears throat> these groups have become swayed by left-wing forces which have aligned themselves with the Islamists. And the Islamists have no time for Hindus and what they feel and their opinions and their backgrounds and their culture and their civilization. And the Hindus themselves have been too they've been too compliant, dealing with their own lives, and materializing material wealth, enriching themselves, donating to these parties, that they haven't thought about their own communities and what they can do and the threats to their communities. So what's happened is that the Islamists have taken root and their sense of victimhood has grown and their exponential power within both parties has grown to such an extent that the Hindus have been dwarfed. And what's happened is that while they have projected themselves and their strength and their power and their voice over decades, Hindus have been extremely quiet. All they've cared about are about their communities and enriching themselves and temples and mundus and and soft power such as this and what's happened and they've become lost in the mix is that as the Islamist factions have grown and the left-wing factions have grown, they have decided to pick on the easy target which is what well, they've always considered to be an inferior religion, which is Hinduism. And while they initially picked on Hinduism, what's happened of late is it's because of 2014 and Modiji, because there's been this paradigm shift in terms of the representation of Hindus worldwide and the BJP and talking about our culture and our civilization in a prouder way, they've become angered. And so what's happened is that the Democrats have had no respect for the Hindu vote because the Islamist vote has seemed to them to be far more important. And that's been mirrored it's definitely in the UK as well. The Labour Party is, is riddled with those who basically support Pakistan and think more about Pakistan than Britain, for example. And what's happened then is that they've always resurrected issues such as Kashmir, for example, that have no place in the British political sphere at all and yet they keep resurrecting this, they keep bringing it up, they keep injecting Modi and the BJP and the RSS into the British diaspora and political mainframe. Even though most people on the street do not know anything about these issues nor care about them, um, Britons, British Hindus may well care about them but they do not vote for them when they are dealing with them in the UK parliament because they know that they're not going to shift the kashmir debate by voting for the conservative party or the or the labor party but whereas the islamists do feel that they will be able to because they will have a, they will have a voting bloc and an mp who is listening to their concerns and will raise those issues and that's what you've seen with labor because they are raising all of these movements about Kashmir within their Labour Party conferences, which do not belong there at all. And so, what's happening is that there's been a shift there, and Hindus have allowed themselves to be manipulated because they haven't been vocal and they haven't been cognizant of all of these issues that are happening in the background. So, they're dealing with their own communities, but they're not voicing their concerns. And what's happening is that it slowly leads to a position such as we've seen in Leicester and Birmingham recently, where the entire narrative shifts to blame the victims, who are the Hindus, as the perpetrators and the villains. And that is what has happened. That is what is the cost of allowing yourself to be manipulated, is that the other side completely pounces on the narrative and projects the image. And they have been successful, sadly. And they have portrayed the Hindus as the villains and the Islamists as the victims. And it's still being portrayed and played out today. And it's extremely sad to see Now, while we see within India that there is a younger diaspora that is educating themselves and is becoming far more strident and less willing to be manipulated, I'm not so sure that that's happened in the US and the UK as much as it should have. There are good signs and there are signs that it's moving in that direction, but a lot of work needs to be done.
0: I totally agree with you because what is also happening, you know, the the storyline, there are very few... Indians who are openly critical about India, who are living overseas. But there are Indians in India who know who have lost their credibility, thanks to Mr. Modi, they are the ones who have tremendous amount of mo- access to money. And they are the ones who are writing in, in the Western press. It's very interesting that they are trying to raise the bogey from overseas, though they are living in India or they are Indians. So tell us this phenomenon. You talked about Hindus being compliant and submissive Mm -hmm. and more accepting. Is this such a severe colonial mentality that has beset us? How does it juxtapose with the reality of a true Indian, a true Hindu who will not get manipulated? How does that work actually?
1: Well, the links to this always go back to the colonial period. There have always been Indians who were enamoured with the invading power. They were enamoured with the British Raj, with, with, with Britain itself, with the with the romantic notion of empire, and the romantic notion of this one, this island all the way across the world. And so, the, some of these individuals fell so in love with the way they spoke, the way they dressed, the way they comported themselves, that they wanted to emulate themselves. And subconsciously, whether through their backgrounds, whether through their families or because they were so to mani- to manipulate, that they slowly saw India, Hinduism, and their fellow Indians as inferior. They became whitewashed. They saw themselves as inferior to a certain class, and caliber of Indians and over the years these generations have grown and become intellectualized and have educated themselves and they have always seen for themselves a very Nehruvian specific version of India that they wanted to create and wished had been created all this time and it has angered them that the dynastic rule of Congress rule and its corrupt regimes are no longer in vogue have no longer been voted in by the populace and it angers them so much that the Indian population has twice voted in a right of centre regime that is proud of its culture and its background. So they have weaponized themselves with the only power that they have, the soft power of academia and media and they love the fact that a foreign voice or a foreign media house is the one with pouring scorn on India. For them, that validates their opinions, it validates their propaganda. So they know that within India they can only go so far, and within a a right-of-centre regime they will be ridiculed, which they often are within India too. But what they love is the adulation of the foreigner and the foreign power, whether it's The Guardian, whether it's New York Times or Washington Post. And... That goes back to that same colonial mentality. They are happy to take their money, they're happy to give money, as long as the white man is the one who is supporting them and is supporting them in denigrating their country. And that goes right back all the way to that infatuation and love of the foreigner. Not of the Mughal so much, but of the of the British Raj itself. And in, in terms of what that means for the modern-day Hindu, you know, it is still today, we still have the Lutians media, we still have... The Delhi set, which loves to emulate um, the English, wants to speak English all the time, um, really turns its nose up at any semblance of Hinduism and Sanatana Dharma and Sanskrit and age-old values and civilization. and nothing to them is sacred. What is sacred to them is the adulation and the comradeship of foreigners, Um, And it's extremely sad, and it will take a few generations for that mindset to wipe out, I feel, because it's only been 200, 300 years since British Raj rule. But there will always be Hindus like this, who are easy to turn against their own, who are easy to ally themselves with left-wing houses that are rabidly Marxist and despise anything that is right of centre. And they still feel... (coughs) They still feel that India needs to be civilised and Hinduism needs to be civilised, even though it's a 5000 year old civilization itself. And so now they have picked on their favourite term, which is Hindutva, which they do not understand, which has always been a fluid understanding of Hinduism, which was never codified or defined. But they have sought to define it along their own parameters of propaganda, because they know they can't outwardly criticise Hinduism itself because that would be extremely xenophobic and racist so they would rather use the term Hindutva as a proxy in order to funnel their propaganda through but unfortunately you know these Hindus will be around for a long time wherever you go around the world whether it's any colonial power ex power you will find examples of those who Will, will you know they live for adulation from the white man and the foreigner and the westerner, and they will continue to do so sadly. and the only way we can combat that is to constantly rebut their arguments, make them look ridiculous, underline and rebut all of their false false op-eds around the world with facts, and make them look like the fools that they are. That is the only way forward.
0: That's a that's a very powerful suggestion you have given to make a fool of themselves with facts. And that's what is important. Because so many Hindu Hindus in America, for that matter, I don't know much about the English part of the story, although I interact with Mr. Pandit Satish Sharmaji a lot. Uh, he has been on our shows many times and is a personally good personal good friend. Important part here again is that the word hindutva you know, it is a coterminous word. We know it. there is nothing evil about Hindutva, even if it is a word called Hindutva. It's a tatva. It, it comes, Hindu tattwa is Hindutva. So the tattwa, you can't demolish the tatva the way it is. But the majority of the young people who are in your age group, they are totally swayed by the years of education. And where we as parents fail In America, to interact with the parents teachers association as much as we should have done, we ought to have done. Now, the challenge is those people who have now blossomed and become young men and women in the community, they have somewhere along the line, you know, the thought has been has made home in their heads that Hindutva is evil without they knowing. If you ask them to define, they have no definition. They only talk about the extreme part of it. How does that, how does one address that to the younger group? Particularly the parents have no no way. They don't listen to parents anymore. because mm. you know, They don't need to because they have grown up independently. That's the way the life they have become for them. Mm. How does one address that? Not everybody
1: is sort of that. Mm-hmm. Well, one way to address it is to really continue to read and expand your knowledge. With Hindutva, we're going to go back into how it was defined, into how some of its adherents adopted it, and they should understand about, for example, about Veer Savarkar. they should understand about what Savarkar had to deal with, how is Savarka different to, to Gandhi, and they should understand and clear up some of the falsehoods. So they want to talk about the RSS, but they don't talk about it completely. So, for example, the RSS has a Muslim wing. How can the RSS be so rabidly anti-Muslim and want to slaughter Muslims around the world if they have a Muslim wing? What about the fact that during COVID and lockdown, the RSS assisted communities, all communities in India, including Muslim communities. So these are some of the facts on the ground that they need to understand and not take the Western op-eds as a gospel, which is is what's happening. They're reading something and they're taking a few arbitrary occasions that happen and they believe that as fact and they're not looking into history, they're not looking into understanding about context, and then failing to see the conflation of the term Hindutva with Hinduism, because when these criticisms are made, they're always, they're lazy, they're intellectually lazy, they're bereft of facts and logic, and they're simply saying things like, you know, India is descending into a fascist Hindutva state, and all of these things, and they need to think about the the facts such as, Article 370's abrogation in Kashmir and how that's improved Kashmir. Will they talk about that? Will they talk about the fact that the CAA is to assist minorities that are under you know, extreme stress and strife in neighbouring regions? They won't talk about that, for example. They won't talk about the facts, but they will believe in the propaganda because what's happening is that the anti-Hindu, Hindutva and anti-Hindu and the Hindu-phobic cabals, what they're doing is that they're their headlines are screaming. They're they are presenting worst case scenarios, you know ap- apocalyptic type headlines which are completely completely complete fantasy and they're not rooted in fact. And the, dig- and the more you dig and delve into these articles and these thought papers and things of this nature, you'll find that they are just completely confecting and fabricating information, whether they're talking about Gujarat 2002, for example, they always seem to paint over and neglect the fact that so many Hindu pilgrims were killed on that train from Godra. and they won't talk about the fact that two individuals um, within the the Gujarat regime were imprisoned, not Modi and Modi was not the one who was overseeing this pogrom, for example. So they they take all of this propagandist fact and they don't combat it with... With knowledge and that's because they're not reading about information and that's because you know other than for example channels like this that there are not so many indian groups that are right of center whether on youtube whether on um on the internet itself that are talking about these issues because the one thing that the hindus have failed to do is to successfully combine into powerful media houses that rival these other chains of course we've got uh, news channels in india but that is not mirrored elsewhere we've got wonderful organizations in the us for example that are looking to rectify these forces but they are relatively new organizations those within the uk are woeful um, other than the ones for example that are led by Gandhi, such as T. Soma, for example and insight the ones that are that have the most power such as the hindu council of britain have always been woeful and let hindus down during their times of need so what's happening is that we now need to see uh, younger individuals who need to learn and read more and expand their reading skill set and look at contrarian views and to really try to understand the depths of this because this has come about not just from colonial times but specifically since 2014. It is, it's quite remarkable how during Congress rule um, you saw very little of this type of propaganda and since 2014 it has morphed and even if ji were to stand down tomorrow, but the BJP was still in charge, the media will now just shift to the new leader. Because it's not always just about Modi; it's about the institution, it's about anything that is right of centre. And, you know, that's what the youngsters have to do. They just have to be exposed to more media such as this to understand what's going on. I think what's happened in the UK <clears throat> with the Leicester debacle really lays bare the um, the horror of Hindu-phobia that is besetting us. And in the US, we've seen very clearly the spike in hate crimes towards Indians and Hindus, and it's undeniable now that, you know, Hindu-phobic words, Hindu-phobic articles, Hindu-phobic media discourse leads to real-world consequences. And we've seen that now. It's undeniable. So my message to, to, to the youth is that they have to understand what's happening and that it's re- resulting in real-world consequences, and that there will come a time where the violence can only spike, it can only increase. Um, we just have to look at what happens in Bangladesh every Durga Puja, every time that there are festivities. It's Hindus in Bangladesh that suffer, and they're the ones who are being, you know, being killed, and their temples vandalized and desecrated and looted. And now here in the UK, we've got confected narratives. Leading directly to Hindophobic hate crimes against innocent Hindus living their lives in Leicester and Birmingham and Coventry, um, and that's what it results in. And that's what it results in in the U.S. When we see incidents such as Taco Bell and um, an individual who is attacked just for existing, just for being a Hindu, not, nothing less, not even antagonizing that individual. So those who are ignoring this issue. Um, they need to know that there will be real-world consequences. And it's already playing out, and we just want to hope that it doesn't lead to a greater spike in attacks on Hindus worldwide. Now you, you
0: have—I uh, I definitely admire your courage to come out and with such thoughtful, uh, you know, narrative that you are doing. Now, important part: two things you mentioned in your presentation just now about Gandhi and RSS, and the the third—the outcome of that is. The, the, the narrative part of it, that's very important. Yeah. When RSS is being attacked by varieties of institutions that are targeting RSS, consequently Hindus, read Hindus as well. It takes me back to a very nice picture of Mr. Modi, which went viral on Twitter and other social media in which the, the statement was, they are not after me, they are after you. And you know when he, the, the finger was pointed out very directly, they are targeting you, I'm just the means for that. Mm. It's very important. Where does the narrative from RSS come from? Because I am little, you know, you know things is things are very simple. Whatever RSS is doing, you narrated it very well that they are helping people. They're swam, it is a Swam, Sevak, Sun. Mm-hmm. You know, Austria Swam, Sevak, Sun. It is not yeah. a war organization. So they do seva. That's a point well taken. But when RSS is attacked in that vile manner, RSS needs to step up. Yes. It's, it's machinery through their pracharaks. Now, pracharaks may be doing things silently and quietly, that is totally understood. But if you are not assertive with your voice,
1: yeah. nobody is.
0: and in the Western media, the way their media is controlled then your voice is suppressed, and it languishes. Nobody knows anything about it. No. What must happen on that? And I will come to the Gandhi thing also very quickly. Yeah. But tell us about this, the RSS, what RSS, how must RSS support its individual members or people who are not even members, but they're Hindus? Mm. Or, because RSS is the only organization apart from ISKCON and whatever, that has that kind of represents Hindus as an institution, we don't have yeah. too many institutional representations around the world. RSS becomes that symbol and they know that if you smash RSS, Hindus are gone automatically. Mm. How does What must RSS do at this point in time to support the global diaspora of not only Hindus but entire India, Bharat as we call them?
1: Mm. I'm glad you've talked about the fact that the RSS has not really done what it needs to do. Do, needs to do from a PR stand of standpoint because it has been sadly woefully inadequate. I think what the RSS needs to do is <clears throat> first it needs to tackle with some tackle some of the age old tropes and mysteries from the past. So even though Mohan Bhagwat has distanced himself from some of what G- Kar has said in the past, it needs to be more explicit because this is not the RSS of the forties. This is the modern RSS that has shaped and changed with the times. And even at that time, that RSS that golkar was, was um, governing and stewarding with Savarkar was born out of a nationalist struggle. And in any case, they were deemed not to have um, killed Gandhi, which is the constant lie which is always trotted out, that they assigned the murderer, Godse, to take care of Gandhi. So one thing the RSS certainly needs to do is to seize its destiny and take control of its own narrative. And <clears throat> Mohan Bhagwat has a huge following. He holds his symposium sometimes and he talks about all of these issues. But often, perhaps, they are in Hindi. They are not distributed worldwide as they should. Um, and certainly, the, the RSS houses all around the world need to do far more. RSS in the UK is an extremely silent organisation, They don't build their visibility at all. They simply don't get out there. There are shakas that are held, but they just don't talk about the work they're doing in the community at all. So from a PR standpoint, they must do much, much more. And part of that is dispelling a lot of the lies of the past or at least distancing itself from that. Now, Mohan Bhagwat has said that on occasion, but it's always been done in India. It doesn't seem to pick up much traction. And perhaps they don't talk more loudly about the wonderful initiatives that they do. As I alluded to earlier, the RSS does have a Muslim wing. Now this would you know, this flies this absolutely slaps down the argument of so many left-wing cabals and Islamists that the RSS is a Brahmanical Muslim hating organization. Why not talk to that wing? Why does that wing not talk more about itself and the wonderful work it's doing? So on that front, it needs to really take care of its own nation, its own narrative and its PR offensive. Um, and what's happening is that there is a certain mindset there of here and thinking to themselves that, look, we're doing work, we know what our enemies are saying about us, we're fine, we don't need to do anything. But they need to realise that as they are being so compliant and so subservient in a sense, that all of their enemies around the world are spreading mysteries about them. So they really need to get out there and talk about the work they're doing and to be extremely sincere about it, to treat it like a political campaign. Um, and one way of doing that is to release more books, release more literature, to have media, me, media houses and forums on YouTube and other forums such as this. Um, I mean, we can see with with Man-Kibat and what Mudeji is leading how powerful that forum is. Why doesn't the RSS have a similar forum, for example, and think about, uh, you know, having a similar space within other regions around the world, an English channel, for example. You know, those spokespersons are out there, but they're so very quiet. And I think in the wider diaspora, again, they just need to think and tackle their own history itself. We've seen Savarkar has been re-envisioned for a new generation due to these wonderful books from people like Vikram Sampath, for example. Um Why don't they embrace that resurgence? Because Savarkar is now more of a hero to most Hindus who know than Gandhi, certainly. So the RSS needs to embrace its history, be proud of its history and embrace the tools of the day. They need to really think about PR in a more commercially savvy way that's appropriate for 2022. Thank
0: you very much. You bring in in subject matters, which falls straight into the segue of my next question, which I wanted to ask you. So you refer to Gandhi, and RSS needs to be more aggressive in its pronouncements and needs to contest as a simple matter is that when the world media is against you, has branded you as evil, if you just remain compliant and quiet, and you talk about the elements which, which confuse people, they end up confusing Hindus more than they support Hindus uh, You know, many a time. Their work is awesome. It's very important, the Gandhi part here, you know, Savarkar is known now. The Modi has done something truly remarkable. He has broken the myth of the Nehru Gandhi's superiority or the only freedom fighters kind of thing, that yeah. they were the only ones who did everything. Uh, nobody else mattered. I, I'm talking about Gandhi here. You know, he has now become Mahatma. We all know now the true story behind the Mahatma. We know a lot more. But in the global image, it's very interesting that nobody—he never got Nobel Peace Prize, mm-hmm. but everybody considers him to the Mahan soul. My question is related to, uh, and you talked about Nathuram Godse as well. There was a debate in Connecticut of school kids, and I was, I was one of the judges. It was on Zoom. And in that about 20 kids were participating from eight year young man to a 12th grader. They were all participating. They said the usual things about Gandhi, about Satyagraha, civil disobedience and everything else. Gandhi was a man of peace, but there was one common thread. About 17 or 18 of the 20 alluded to that gandhi was killed by a hindu nationalist nathuram godse that struck with me and i asked that question that nathuram godse operated perhaps as the lone wolf why perhaps he was the lone wolf mm-hmm. he operated on his own his own belief he was caught and he paid the penalty as per the law the question here is i asked the students no why the hindu nationalist part is emphasized by you. Yes. Did you, does anyone ever ask what was the religion of the man who killed Abraham Lincoln, or John F. Kennedy, mm-hmm. or Robert Kennedy, or Martin Luther King? Nobody asked the religion of those people, or the man who almost killed Ronald Reagan. But the media is immediately quick to paint Nathuram Godse, and the entire Hindu Samaj has to bear, if I may use the word cross, of Mm -hmm. Nathuram Godse, and the reprisals of that. This is where RSS needs to come up. And with Modi breaking the Gandhi myth, so to say, people are saying Mahatma was not Mahatma, not my Mahatma. People have begun to create the doubt, and that is another image issue. Because the rest of the world will say, Look at Modi, look at Hindus, they are running down the Mahanatma, which was known as, but it is a narrative story. Yeah. What does one deal with that? You're thought on it. Because you well, have written before. in your chapter, you have said there India doesn't need another Gandhi. So tell no. us more about that.
1: Well, it's interesting with the adulation of Gandhi because um left-wing cabals and left-wing conglomerates have on the, ones, on the one hand, admired Gandhi because he was the warm, cuddly, inoffensive freedom fighter that they wanted. But on the other hand, if they so fe- feel, they want to call him as a racist. So you can't please them either way. He's either a racist to them based on his time in South Africa, or he was a sex pest, or he was you know, a nice, peaceful freedom fighter. And what happens is that the Gandhi doesn't fit in the um, the lens of what we need as Sanatinis Sanatini as a real freedom fighter. A real freedom fighter was Netaji Chandra bos okay, was Savarka. It wasn't Gandhi. So for them, Gandhi is, is an unchallenging, inoffensive, bland, easy type of freedom fighter who, importantly, was so eager to placate the Muslim League and Jinnah and that, for them, is the reason why they tolerate Gandhi. That is why they like to elevate Gandhi as the ultimate freedom fighter, because he, you know, he wore his religion on his sleeve. But he was seen more as being an individual who was so much about peace and inoffensive actions, and who was treated almost as a royal by the British, because while Savarkar was sent to cellular jail and left to rot and die, um, Gandhi was able to take his hunger strikes in a completely separate place now so even of course though he was despised by Churchill and and the British autocracy he was still seen by them as what he was which was a safe kind of freedom fighter where someone like Bors had to be exterminated absolutely so but really with Gandhi it is a fact that they want to call him a Mahatma because in a way they like the fact that he helped pave the way the creation of Pakistan because he did so little to fight against it um, and when it comes we go back to the RSS and Godse and such it is interesting that they want to attribute Godse's religion to him and as a reason for what he did that when Jinnah um, led direct action day they don't want to talk about his religion and reason for his proclamation neither do they want to talk about Surawardi and his religion in Bangladesh and for what happened in Noakali, for example. So, yes, Gandhi has always become, over the years, the easy freedom fighter, and that's why in the West has embraced him so much, because he never really rocked the boat. He wasn't a Saldar Patel. He wasn't a boss. He wasn't someone who really put his foot down and stood for all Hindus and Bharat itself, and stood for one indivisible India, which is what it should have been. It shouldn't have been partitioned, and the reason it was was because of his acquiescence and because of his lack of organization.
0: That's such a refreshing thought for me particularly, because I, I consider myself a, on an above average basis that I know a little bit more about the history than the majority of the people. And I'm very gratified that a young man like you has understood and you are operating on a very, very strong, correct wavelength of fixing the unfortunate truth. You know, you use the word, very, very sophisticated word that he was an easy freedom fighter. That was such a wonderful thing to say. And yes, you are right. Well, Nehru and Gandhi spent their jail time in a 5 star facility, writing books and experiments of truth and diary to my daughter. And that has been eulogized by the Western media and the press and everybody. But the real struggle of Savarkar and others was completely written down or vilified, that's, that makes it very, very significant. Now, we have eight more minutes to go. We have three statements made by one of our viewers, and I will we'll get to that. But I wanted to ask you one more question here. It's very significant. That while the Western, and this is my experience, when we talk to the Western audience and tell them the truth, they have appreciated But they say that most of the Indians themselves in this part of the world and your part of the world, they are more anti-India, anti-Hindu themselves. They are virtually become apologists for being a Hindu. And how does one address that scenario? This This is the biggest challenge that we are facing. And you alluded to that earlier on, that they have very successfully very successfully our enemies have very successfully put themselves as the victim corner and we are the most peaceful one are the oppressors how does one fight that in the absence of an institutional framework because we don't have an institutional framework whether here or in uk apart from you know a new newly come up organization called kohna or hindu american foundation that both of them are doing a great work on institutions like Hindu Pact, and there are many are emerging now. It will take time. So, but how does one go about it? The time is slipping away.
1: Yeah, it's it's going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think one of the best ways that what we can do to stay ahead is improve our media presence, amplify our voices. There are many organizations, many media organizations even just like this that are offering an, a different view that are putting truth to power questioning power questioning political orthodoxies so we need to see more of those voices we need to see more authors we need to see more podcasts we need to see more individuals on youtube with their channels we need to see more organizations who are willing to blog pitch just to get themselves out there um, there's a defeatist element sometimes within the hindu mind and that's in says to themselves well no one's going to listen to my voice anyway there's so many voices out there i think i'll do nothing um but th- that is how the islam of the islamist movement started in the beginning but they never held back and now what has happened to the point is that that has birthed the term islamophobia that has birthed a situation where people are so afraid to offend islamists or to question back islamists or islamist doctrine so our our reticence, our desire to stay in the shadows will only cause us harm. And I think it's playing out already. In the UK, I think British Hindus have woken up a bit in the last few months because of what's happened in Leicester. They've seen that if they do nothing, they will be attacked, they will be denigrated. Even in the US, we've seen with the hate crimes that the more you have individuals in Rutgers University and such spinning all of these lies and holding ridiculous events like dismantling Hinduphobia, that these these lies, these confections, this propaganda, as I alluded to earlier, these words lead to real-world consequences. And I think in, in the US, as we are seeing more Hinduphobic hate crimes um, growing exponentially and escalating in, in, in ferocity, that they're starting to realise look, we can't afford to be so complacent, we can't afford to have others do the work for us because we are it is now open season on Hindus now. And you know, it is still two years till the next election in India. But the situation is only going to get worse. In the UK, we have so many NRIs. In the US, we have you have many NRIs as well. As that population increases, we're going to see more hate crimes, we're going to see greater attacks on. Who we are, our civilization, our country, where we're from, and we can't afford to be silent anymore. So I think what's going to happen is that you've got a young, a younger, more educated group of civilized, civilians who are coming to these countries, and they're not willing to just see their their culture and their history be denigrated so so shamefully. So I think they're going to start to stand up for themselves, and what we're going to see is that there's going to be more organisations that are starting to grow, and those that have done nothing are going to have their feet held to the fire, as they should. So, you know, I think it's just going to take a real offence, offensive from the media side of things. There need to be more documentaries. There need to be more narratives that need to be put out there. We see great work on social media because there are lots of organisations and individuals that are quick to rebut a lot of the lies out there. But what's happening is that the same media houses have the power, have the money. They're still going to trot out the same lies. So we need to see more websites like OP India, for example. We need to see more channels like the Jaipur Dialogues. It needs to be frequent. It needs to be out there. It needs to be in the in-tray of every every person out there purporting to paint Hinduism in a bad light. And that they need to understand that they can't get away with it. Very quick example here, Channel 4, which is a major media house in the UK, tried to ascribe complete blame for Leicester on the Hindu community. Due to the anger of the Hindus online, who rebutted their arguments, they are now finally interviewing Hindus who are saying that we had nothing to do with it, we had nothing to do with the RSS, we don't even know who the RSS are. So even that's an example of a small victory. If you fight back against them with facts and you let them know that you will not take this abuse any longer they will be forced to recant or to address the other point of view so that's where the victory can lie
0: thank you Uh, let's switch to you know some of the observations and questions asked by some of the viewers and uh, we'll close after that so let's ask uh, can we go to the questions please we have uh, Oneness is asking, thank you Oneness, sort of the importance of Hindutva will never be understood unless the slave mentality of the Indians is not brought out of the table. The message has to hit below the belt. Keep your answers short. Uh, Saru, the question is, the statement is made to you.
1: Yeah. I understand what, you, what your poster means about behind the belt, below the belt. Don't over-intellectualize. Over-intell- Don't use lots of flowery fancy, fancy language if you have to. Be to the point. Be concise. Be succinct. Arm yourself with facts. Good.
0: Next one is uh, addressed to me. Vibhuti Ji, depending on the RSS is going down a beaten path. It's like pushing a pill down the throat. Right now, the entire communication needs to be modernized and in English. RSS website,
1: X. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more.
0: Couldn't agree more. Yes, Oneness, I agree with you too on this. Third one is again by Oneness. And thank you very much for your support, Oneness. Uh, there is a wonderful essay by Swami Chinmayanand, Let us be Hindus. It's an, it's an honest statement of where the Hindu cultures. It's important to make them feel proud of the Hindu culture by generating curiosity. I will add to this of of, uh, Arvindu's article, the bourgeois and the samurai. That you know was an an amazing uh, essay written by Swami uh, Arvinduji in 1917. So I urge everyone to read that if you want to begin your journey. Articles, uh, essays by Swami Chinmayanand and and Arvindu make a difference. Your thought on it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Swamiji is, is a fount of wonderful knowledge and I encourage everyone to read that too. That's right.
0: Um, the last one, it seems, is from Oneness again. Saurav, you are talking so much of the RSS. Have they or any group protested at the British Embassy in India? And I think this particular thing need not be RSS alone. It has to be at the individual level as well.
1: Absolutely.
0: Because... Indiv- you know, any organization can do only so much. Hmm. To expect RSS to protest at the British Embassy is fine. I mean, I totally agree with that, that they must show, this instead of being compliant, the semblance of resistance ought to be there too, at an organizational level, particularly when you blame them or us, but at the individual level as well. Where was the protest against Leicester to the British yeah. Embassy in India? I mean, with so many, uh, you know, ridiculous resolutions passed in America against CAA and 370, there was no protest in India about that. Yeah. That does U.S. have the locus standi and authority to comment upon other other countries' legal matters, whereas we are not commenting. India is not commenting on the Black Lives Matter and Antifa here. Mm-hmm. How do you talk about that? How does that happen? How? What will the individuals do to make a move on that?
1: What individuals can do is raise their voice in whatever fashion is comfortable to them, whether it's the written word, whether it's video, whether it's podcast, anything. Get your voice out there. Some people like to protest in person. Some people like to write about it. We need more voices. There's no doubt about that. I don't want to be the only one writing a book like this. I want many of your viewers to be inspired to do the same. Thank you so much. Thank you
0: so much for being here. Thank you, viewers, and thank you, Oneness, for asking all these inquiries and making suggestions. Appreciate that. Jeppu Dialogue USA is back after two week hiatus, and we will be back next Saturday again. Thank you for joining. Like, subscribe, and share, and put the, press the bell icon. We, were, we are coming back with lots of other interesting elements to discuss, basically to inspire the NRI diaspora worldwide. To arise, awaken, and assert, and act, as I always prefer to say. Thank you, Saurav, joining us. Would you? I would want you to show the cover of your book if you have it with you right there. Do you?
1: I don't have it right with me now, but I'm happy to share it with your viewers afterwards. Perhaps okay, on social perfect. media.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, viewers. See you next week. Satyamev Jayate.